We're going to turn to God's Word, so if you have a Bible, then please turn with me uh, to James, continuing on in our series in James. Today we are in James chapter 3, and we're really going to be focusing on verses 13 through 18, but we'll read uh, the whole chapter of James chapter 3. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, it will we guide their whole bodies as well. Well, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A greater forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it. And as I said earlier, we're really going to focus on those verses 13 through to 18. And the big question... The big question I want us to answer today is this. How do you spot a wise man? (laughs) How do you spot a wise man? Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you that you're a God who speaks. And as we gather together in worship this morning, we come to this part where there's an expectation that we are going to hear from you. This is how you've met with your people 
throughout the generations and spoke through your word as your spirit and your word worked together. And so we pray that you would uh, be at work now. We pray that you'd give us eyes that would see, hearts that are wanting to hear, and also obey your word. Father, we need your help. Might you be gracious and merciful to us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently heard uh, of someone who went for a job interview. And in the job interview, they were very, very impressive. They listed of all of the kind of things that they would bring to the job. And it certainly impressed those who were on the panel. Now, it impressed them so much that they, they offered the person the job. They said, yes, we want you to be part of our team. Now, I was talking to someone who was friends with their previous employer, their previous employer who had employed them to do the very same job. And they said, it was surprising that they didn't come for a reference Because if they'd come for a reference, well, it would have been less than favorable. Because all of the things that they had said in the interview, they had said in their interview a few years earlier, but really hadn't delivered. They would have had a very, very poor reference. Now, as we listen to this true story, well, we would come to the conclusion that it was probably a foolish thing not to go back and speak to their previous employer and to look for a reference. But I want you to come a little bit closer to home. Imagine the scenario, okay? Imagine this is your church. For many of you, I know that's not hard to imagine because this is your church. But imagine this is your church. And imagine that we are seeking to appoint some new elders here in the church. Let's imagine that you're a voting member of the congregation. And so you get to nominate some names that will be considered for eldership. And here's the question. How do you spot a wise man? (laughs) How do you spot a wise man? How how would you know what you're to look for if you were to nominate someone for a position like that, a position where you would expect them to be godly and and wise? You see, it would be easy to nominate someone who impresses you with their words, wouldn't it? That would be the the easy thing. The sort of person that you maybe get chatting to over tea and coffee, and they seem to know their Bible inside out. In fact, in the time that you're speaking to them, they mention a number of verses, and you think that is impressive. They seem to have a a really good grasp of theology. I mean, they've managed to point out all of the mistakes that the preacher made that day and the week before as well. And uh, well, they, they assure you that they would have done a much, much, much better job. And clearly this person is impressive. You think, wow, maybe this would be the godly man that I might suggest. And the longer that you chat to them, the more they list the, the, the problems that they see within the church the feelings of the current elders, how the youth and children's ministry isn't quite up to what it could be. The adults' discipleship groups, well, they're not up to scratch either. Uh, the ministry to, to older members in the community, well, they think that could be a bit slicker. Um, as for pastoral care, if they were in charge, no one would ever be missed. And you find yourself thinking, wow, they, they know what they're doing here. They thought this through. And maybe you even find yourself nodding along and thinking, hmm, yes. I would vote for you. I would nominate you. Surely this person has godly wisdom. And so if you were looking for a godly leader, then that would be your nomination, wouldn't it? And then you get to James 3, and you read this. (laughs) James is asking a, a similar question, isn't he? Who is wise and understanding among you? 
And James isn't just thinking about those who should be elected to leadership within the church, but given that a few verses earlier, he says that not many of you should become teachers. It's definitely not divorced from leadership either. So how does James seek to answer the question? Does he find himself impressed with fancy theological knowledge, the books that they've read, the terms that they might know, the thoughts on how to improve ministry within the the church family? Is that what impresses James? Well, James says when it comes to wisdom, and if I hadn't talked about it at the children's address, maybe this would surprise you, but wisdom isn't just about words, but wisdom is about works. Do you spot that in the text? Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, what we say after church over tea and coffee isn't just the primary thing that we should be looking for. We should be looking for godly wisdom, and it's seen in godly actions, a life that is lived out in a godly manner. James says that we should see wisdom in someone's actions rather than just their words. We see wisdom in behavior rather than intellect. And when it comes to wisdom, actions speak louder than words. And what is it that drives the actions of this person? Well, it is works that are done from a heart that is transformed. Do you see that? A heart that is meek. A heart that is meek. It's from a heart that recognizes their own sinfulness before God. It's from a heart that recognizes God's holiness and majesty. It's from a heart that is willing to submit to God's ways and to God's rule. This is the heart that godly wisdom comes from. And sometimes with things like this, the idea of um, meekness of heart, we can maybe struggle to kind of figure out what does that look like. And, and so sometimes in order to understand what it looks like, it's, it's helpful to look at, well, what's the opposite? What's the opposite? And that helps us to understand what we're talking about and to clarify. And that's exactly where James goes, isn't it? We see that in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So what's the opposite of meekness of heart? Well, it's your heart filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And when your heart is full of envy and power and and, and longs for control that you do not have, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And sadly, sadly we see this all too often within churches, don't we? How many times has a church split because of an individual or a number of individuals who have been driven by envy and jealousy and selfish ambition? That's what they do. They they seek to influence a few people. They they gather a few people around them and they they, they start to, you know, offload some thoughts, some of their thoughts and, and set them against the leadership within the church, causing an internal revolt. Now, I'm not saying that this is how every church split comes about, okay? Sometimes there is good reason for a church split, but often, often this is where it stems from. And James says to you this morning, if that's you, the kind of person that is seeking your own glory rather than God's, well, James says, if that's you, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, don't claim to have wisdom and then live out a life of actions that prove that claim to be false. 
You see, this type of wisdom, it's very popular in the world, isn't it? In the culture around us, it's, it's easy to be impressed with this type of wisdom. And James says this type of wisdom is not godly wisdom. It's not godly wisdom. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You see, wisdom that comes from above, from the heavens, this is godly wisdom. But this type of wisdom is the opposite of godly wisdom, isn't it? It doesn't come from heaven, but rather James says this type of wisdom comes from Satan himself. You see that? Comes from Satan himself. He says it's demonic. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Or as someone has said, this sort of wisdom is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But where's it not from? It's not from God. It's not from God. And so we need to be careful, don't we? We don't have an elders election coming up anytime soon, as far as I know, so this is not that I'm preparing you for that, okay? But it, it would be easy to mistake godly wisdom for something that is actually the opposite. Now, what is, what is the fruit of this other wisdom? Well, this wisdom that's not from above, we're not to be fooled because it, it's not just that this... Um, that this wisdom will bring about a, a, a much reduced amount of fruit. Actually, the fruit that it brings about is, is really quite destructive and it wreaks havoc. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jealousy and selfish ambition in the hearts of those within a community will lead to havoc. That's what's going to happen. James says that where these exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So, so rather than unity, there's going to be great division. Rather than submission, there's going to be rebellion and pushing against authority. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Remember that jealousy and selfish ambition are, are really the opposite of a meekness of heart. The opposite of submitting to God's rule and God's reign. And rather, you want to take control yourself. You want to be in charge. You want things done your way. You want to be glorified rather than having God's name glorified. And so in order for that to happen, well, what would it look like? Well, you, you go into a church community, and well, the unity of the church is, well, it's fine for that to be collateral damage as long as you get what you want. To get people on your side as you might a challenge to the leadership, well, it's fine if you play dirty, isn't it? You can spread a few lies. You can embellish a few half-truths. You, know? you can set people up against each other. You can throw a few seeds of doubt so that, so that they're starting to doubt the decisions that have been made. And James wants to warn those who are dressed as wisdom, who are on this path, and he wants to warn them that they need to be really careful, that they need to repent. But he also wants to warn the rest of the church to look out and to spot what's happening so that they don't buy into this false wisdom that is not really wisdom at all. If we stick with church leadership as the, as the example of, of one place where we might need godly wisdom and expect godly wisdom, it's not hard for us to think of some pretty well-known names of people who were very much involved in church uh, leadership they were held up as, as wonderful examples of godliness. They were smart. They were intelligent. 
Uh, they were charismatic. They, they won people over really quickly onto, onto their sides. They could win an argument. No matter what the argument was, they could win. If you give them a microphone, they would have everyone's attention, and everyone would be gripped, and nobody, nobody would fall asleep as they led the service. And yet, what happened was that we got to find out something that was happening off stage. We realized that their, their lives off the uh, outside of the limelight did not match up with the godly wisdom that we expected. What we heard as we listened on sounded godly and wise from the front as they spoke, and yet whenever you got to know their actions, you, you would say, this is not godly wisdom. This is not godly wisdom. And so what happened, all sorts of vile practices took place. Perhaps some of you this morning have even experienced this. It's been your experience up close, and as a result, you've been left deeply, deeply hurt. Maybe it's incredibly painful, even as you think about it this morning, the hurt and and pain that it's caused, all sorts of vile practices that became acceptable, and chaos ensued. What does the real thing look like? What does real godly wisdom look like? Well, thankfully, James helps us. Uh, James helps us, and he tells us what real godly wisdom looks like. James says you don't just go by words. It's not just by words that you get a sense of a person, and yet words are really important. Remember last week what we were thinking? Words are really important. Uh, Godly wisdom means that you have learned to control your tongue. But if someone has godly wisdom, wisdom from above, well, then you will see it with your eyes as you watch on at their life. You will see it with your eyes. And so have a look at their life. Have a look at their life. This means you're probably going to need to know people uh, in church a little bit outside of the coffee time. You're probably going to need to, 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 to see their lives lived out somewhere else, absolutely, to see if they really are uh, the wise and godly man or woman that you think that they are. But here are the specifics that James gives us, okay? Uh, The specifics, they're they're listed in verse 17. And he says that this wisdom is is pure. It's pure. The wisdom from above is first pure. In other words, uh, as you look at their life, this should be someone who lives a life that is morally blameless. Morally blameless. There's no obvious way in which they're living contrary to the word of God. And the second thing that he lists is that they are to be peaceable, peaceable. In other words, they are are someone who is peace-loving. They're peace-loving. You know, the sort of person whom you know will do almost anything to keep the peace. They're always trying to work to keep people together. They don't want it all dividing up. No, they're keen to keep everyone together, moving in the right direction. They want harmony between the group, and so they're going to work really hard to keep people on board. Maybe as you think about that, there's someone who who just jumps to mind. You know what they're like, and you think, yes, I can think of of someone who I I see that lived out in their actions. Or maybe when it comes to defining peaceableness, 
It's actually quite helpful, again, to think of the opposite. What's the opposite of, of peaceableness? Well, the person who is always quick to start an argument, they're always looking to, to, to pick a fight. You know the sort of person that you always find yourself on eggshells around because you know that what they're thinking is they're, they're looking for a, a way to attack. They're, they're looking for a way to, to, to cause division. And so you're just, you're just anxious even in their presence because you know that's what they're, they're going to seek to do. You know that... That person, when they come into a group, a group that's united, what will happen is very soon, there'll be a great division. There'll be a great split. And I don't want you just to think of other people, because that's the, the easy option, isn't it? I want you to think, what do people see when they look at my life? Am I peaceable? Am I someone who seeks to keep the peace? Well, the next attribute of the godly man or the godly woman is that they are gentle. They are considerate. They are they're mild. Uh, as opposed to someone who's aggressive and arrogant. No, this person is fair. They are reasonable. And in fact, that leads on to the next one. It says that they are open to reason. What does that mean? Well, it means if um, you come up against this person and there's a difference of, of opinion, they're happy to listen to your opinion and to take it on board and to, and to think through which is, which is better. They don't always have to get their own way. They're not arrogant saying my way or no way. No, they're, they're very happy to be corrected if, 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 if there's a better option. Now, it's not, that, it's not that this person is gullible. It's not that this person doesn't have any theological convictions or, or moral convictions. There's a place not to move your stance, absolutely. But, but this person is open to reason. They're open to reason, and they are happy to be corrected. The godly, wise person is also full of mercy and good fruits. Do you see that? Uh, this is the sort of person that you want to be your neighbor because they really will love their neighbor. <laughs> it's the sort of person who, if they were your neighbor, you know that You'd ask them to look after the plants when you go on holiday, and they would they'd happily do that. You'd chat to them and invite you in for a cup of tea if you need to talk. The kind of person that if they know that you're sick, they'll drop you over dinner. If your car's not working, they'll take you to work. You know, that kind of person, the sort of person that will really love you. Not just say that they, they love their neighbor, but they really will love their neighbor. And James says, as you look on, this is, this is evidence of godly wisdom shaping someone's life. And finally, on the list, it says that they are impartial and sincere. In other words, this is the sort of person who is seeking the good of all. You know, you go and you ask them for advice, and you know that they will give you genuinely what they think is the best advice. There's not going to be some sort of underlying sinister motives behind the advice that they give you. No, you know them, and you know that they will be seeking your best interests. There's someone that you can trust. There's someone who's considerate. You know, the kind of person that you go and you chat to them and you kind of, you know already the response that you're going to get. James says this is impartial and, and sincere. And he says, this is what the wise man looks like. This is what the wise woman looks like. And you can see it lived out before your eyes. And you should be able to see it. Because if you can't see this godly wisdom, well, then I don't think it's there. You should be able to see it. Now, James is not expecting the person to be perfect. Only Christ is perfect. One day, those in Christ will be made perfect. 
But that day has not yet come. But James expects the Christian to grow, doesn't he? He expects the Christian to grow to maturity and increasing maturity, becoming more and more and more like Jesus as the gospel continues to transform their heart. And this is what godly wisdom looks like, lived out in a man or woman. And so this is what we should long to see evidenced in each of our own lives. This is what we should long to see evidenced in in all the members of our church family, increasing godly wisdom, increasing godly wisdom. And the good news is this, because often when we hear a big list of of attributes like that, we're thinking, I can never match up. Well, the good news is it is possible to grow. Change is possible with the Spirit of God who has uh, transformed us, made us us new, made us into a, a child of God. He continues to work in us, changing us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. And so change is possible. Final question that James really answers for us today in in these verses is this. What is the fruit of godly wisdom? What's the fruit of godly wisdom? We are thinking about the fruit of, uh, of, of wisdom that is not from God, disunity and division and all of that. What's the fruit of godly wisdom? Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who make peace. If the fruit of the other wisdom is disorder and every vile practice, how does this fruit differ? Well, The fruit of this type of wisdom is a harvest of righteousness. Do you see that? A harvest of righteousness. And it's quite the contrast, isn't it? I used to work for a silage contractor. um, And so uh, even now, when I smell grass being cut, I kind of get the grass fever. But it was great. You know, you you got the harvest in the trailer and you bounced your way down the road. And it was great delight as you brought home the harvest. And James says that the life of godly wisdom brings about a harvest, a great harvest. And I think it comes about in a number of ways. Of course, the actions of the individual, if they are out of godly wisdom, well, then they're going to be righteous actions, aren't they? They're going to be righteous actions. They're they're going to choose the, the right paths as opposed to the wrong paths. Righteous paths over sinful paths. And in that sense, the wisdom of God leads to a harvest of righteousness. But the second half of this verse seems to hint at something else, doesn't it? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Seems to me that James is saying that there is an expectation that the church will flourish when there is a spirit of unity within it. The type that comes about through godly wisdom. And so as a result of this godly life being lived out, It seems that church growth would be the natural expectation, isn't it? People coming to believe in Jesus, putting their faith in him as a result of the witness of godly living that they have watched on and been able to see with their eyes. And so the harvest is surely in part pointing to those who have realized their own unrighteousness and come to Jesus for salvation putting on his righteous robes so that they can be accepted by a holy God. So how how do you spot a wise man? How do you spot a wise man? Well, James says that you will spot him by a life 
well-lived, not just some clever words over coffee. And so James, again, leaves us to do some soul-searching, doesn't he? As is typical with this book, we have to go home and we have to think seriously about our own lives. Is this the type of life that I live this morning? That's the question, isn't it? One marked out, not by intelligent or impressive speech, but by purity and peace-loving spirit. A life that is marked out by gentleness and someone who is willing to submit under authority and to be easily persuaded to the best outcome. Someone whose life is full of compassion and, and love for their neighbor, the kind of love that has legs, that really does love their neighbor. Someone who is impartial and sincere, trustworthy, honest, seeking the good of all. This is what godly wisdom looks like. And so the question is, is that me and is that you? I'm imagining that if you are like me this morning, well then you're going to have to hold up your hand and say, as I examine my life, it is not as wise as I would like it to be. There are many areas in which there is room for growth. There are significant gaps. And if that's the case, then what would James say? Well, back in James 1, verse 5, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are you to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Well, don't you want to echo that prayer this morning? That prayer that says, God, I, I recognize that I lack wisdom, and so might you grant it to me? But perhaps there are some here today and Maybe you have had a very, very particular realization that your heart is marked predominantly by, by jealousy and selfish ambition. And as you do an honest reflection, you have realized that you have been causing great division among God's people, great division among the people of God. Well, if that's the case, well, then you need to deal with God in a serious manner. You need to confess your sin and you need to repent. You need to submit yourself to God and come in meekness of heart to him and ask him to replace that heart of, of worldly wisdom, of false wisdom, with the real deal, godly wisdom, and then seek to grow in godly living, producing living that matches with the fruit which God will bring about through it. Now, we don't have an election of elders coming up anytime soon, as far as I know, but if we did, I hope you wouldn't just be looking for impressive speech, but I hope you'd also be looking with your eyes and saying, is this person living out a godly life? A godly life? Because James says, Godly wisdom is something that you can see with your eyes. Let's pray. Father, as we continue through James, we realize that each week we're left examining our own hearts. And each week we realize that we have much growth needed 
to become more godly, to become more mature followers of Jesus. And so I pray that you would do a work in each of us, transforming our hearts so that we might indeed grow in wisdom. Lord, if there's anyone here who is not a Christian, might they first recognize that and might they come and seek you to work to bring about a a change of heart. And for all of us, might we continue to grow, to be sanctified, become more like our Lord Jesus. And we are thankful that you have saved us, but that you're still changing us. And so we know today that change is possible. Increasing godly wisdom is possible. And so we pray to that end. Might we be a congregation marked with godly men and godly women. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.